Where do you go? The address. 66 Harborview Road. Hello, hello. Welcome back to 66 Harborview Road, a podcast dedicated to ABC's General Hospital. I'm your host, Caitlin, back from this hiatus in a new recording space, ready to talk more GH. So we started out this week with Sunny and Dex uh, taking Felty into a stairwell or alleyway. I was confused on that, but most important, Jocelyn was there recording it all. That was powerful for me. For the longest time, she was known as Carly's quirky daughter who loved children of the corn and dressing up as corn (laughs) to a Carly 2.0, and now I'm really seeing Jocelyn as her own person. Was she angry? Yes, but all of the things she was saying were making sense. Joss and Sunny have been really up and down in their relationship the past five years or so. I mean, when Sunny had Jax deported just out of spite, and since then, Jocelyn has really wavered on trusting him. I mean, she's done it for her mom, but now that he's in the position he's in, she doesn't care. And when she brought up the custody trial with Sonny saying on the stand that he stopped caring about where he came from because he was having so much fun with Nina and she got in his face about that and what he's done and how his actions have affected everyone else and now look at him in this moment trying to pawn off the guilt on her talking about taking Donna and Avery's father away. And I'm glad Jocelyn gave it right back to him because who is Sonny to walk around saying, I can continue to beat people up because I have kids. Um, No, having children that are out and about in the world does not exclude you from the law. I I just didn't understand that. Like, that argument, I I was just getting more furious with Sunny. Then we have Dex. And I have heard rumors about a possible Jocelyn and Dex coupling or something. I I was not in that swimming pool, but after seeing Dex beg Jocelyn for basically his freedom to delete the recording and Jocelyn looking at him like, "Mm, okay, like she has a soft spot for enforcers, I guess, because of Jason. Like, I don't know. I I know we haven't seen much of Cameron lately, but I prefer Cameron to Dex any day. Any day. I really just don't want Dex to stick around. I hope he's really just a character who's going to be here for a short bit and then he's going to be out of here in some way. But if this is also a catalyst to push Brando into the business, I could be down for that. Brando's been having some troubles lately and he feels Sasha pushing him out. He takes her to therapy and they run into Michael with Willow and they discuss Willow's pregnancy. And then Willow and Sasha kind of separate and have great scenes together. Really reminded me of Emily and Elizabeth back in the day. And Willow made sure to let Sasha know that she sees her just as good of a friend as Sasha sees Willow. Wow, say that five times fast. (laughs) And of course, while they're talking and being cute, that reporter guy, I don't even remember his smoltz, I think smoltz, um, he comes up and talks to them. He rattles Sasha. Like, I I was angry. Uh, and then he goes into Felty's room, and Felty wants to now print a story that Sasha was on drugs the night of the car accident that killed Harmony. Even though that's not true, I mean, this could be enough gossip to make Sasha relapse. Dante was also in GH asking who did the beating, and Felty says, I wouldn't tell you, especially you. Like, come on, dude, really? 
Dante gets it, I think. I mean, he can put it together that Sonny could have been behind this. Oh man, I forgot to mention the fight between Sasha and Brando in the hospital. I could not believe it escalated so much to the point of Brando saying, maybe someone should control you. I mean, oh my god, like that really pushed her over the edge. And when that Sienna girl texted Sasha, she was eager to text back and say, yes, let's go blow off steam together. Will this be Sasha's rock bottom? You'd think her freaking out on television would be a rock bottom, but I don't know. Her going out while already being vulnerable, and this is after her freak out, of course, so people are going to recognize her. I don't know. I just see this going terribly. And I'm thinking that this little stunt she's about to pull is going to push Brando further into Sonny's business because, just like Michael was telling Dex, He's looking for somebody to mentor. Jason was younger than they are when he started. But who is Sonny giving the fatherly advice to or like the best buddy advice to? Who is running to Sonny with every personal problem? Brando. Sonny trusts Brando and Brando trusts Sonny. But I was surprised to hear Sonny say Dex to Brick. So since everyone was in GH, uh, Michael and Dex meet up in the stairwell. Michael's giving Dex the lowdown on how Sonny operates to take on another Jason-type worker. Then Dex tells Michael about what happened with Jocelyn, and Michael gets mad. Did you not think this plan of yours would have other ramifications? You have, like, 30 brothers and sisters. You'd have to know this would affect at least one of them at this point. I don't know. (laughs) But as soon as Dex mentions Brick, Michael tells him, hey, that's a good sign. That means Sonny's starting to let you in his inner circle. Well, the whole thing, like this, I know this is going to end badly. I don't know how badly, but man, it's just screaming AJ to me. And unless AJ is going to miraculously come back, which I sometimes in these moments, I wish he would. (laughs) But what is this plot? What is this storyline with Michael and Sonny? I just, I don't know. But I did get some faith restored in me to have Brando being suspicious of all these Michael and Dex interactions. I think Brando's going to find out what's going on before Sonny does, and I'm hopeful that this will bring in a big dramatic storyline with Brando and Michael. Maybe it'll lead to, like, the Corinthus organization versus the West Coast family. And if all my wishes came true, the West Coast family would be Jerry Jacks. And then he would slither his way into Port Charles. And Jocelyn would be super excited that she has a family member. And her mom, of course, is going to remind her of all the bad things Jerry's done. But I think Jocelyn would hold on to. But Jerry protected me from that water pathogen. (laughs) Like, I just see her being like, well, mom, like, I need the job experience. And you don't have the Metro Court anymore. I just think that would be so great. And having Brick involved in this is very smart. He's telling Sonny straight up, like, no, I will be digging into this guy and I will be keeping my eye on him. I'm just happy that there are people in the organization looking out for Sonny. Not to be mistaken with me forgiving Sonny for anything in my podcast hiatus. In fact, I am more angry with him since before my break. (laughs) 
And the way he was talking to Nina, it's like he's training her to be a girlfriend for him. And I hate it. I mean, I really don't like Nina, but no woman needs to be talked to that way. And if you've been keeping up with me on Twitter, you'll see how comical I feel about Nina trying to run this hotel. This is a disaster waiting to happen. And I'm waiting right alongside with it. I need Nina to get her karma trip. But this is where I saw all that girlfriend and training BS. Nina will not get the Metro Court staff to respect her because they all know who she is and what she's done. But Sonny did not need to step in like that. It was so over-the-top misogynistic. And really, the way he said, I'm there for you, I'm just trying to protect you. Like, stop. It's so manipulative. And then him going, if you can't deal with that, this is not gonna work. Okay, bye then. I guess it's not gonna work. Like, come on, Nina. She is such a weak character, and she's falling all over for this. And you know what? All the better for her cliff dive into a spiral, locking her in Ferncliff to team up with Heather Weber. <laughs> Maybe I should work on some GH fanfiction. I don't know. <laughs> but I'll tell you something that's not working besides Sona. Sorry, I'm just not a Sona fan. What is going on with Austin? What is he doing? A year ago, I put out a podcast episode about his father, Jimmy Lee Holt, and I questioned whether he was actually dead or not. Now we have Austin meeting with some guy who's about the same age, and they mention a lady boss, and I'm just so confused as to what the writers are doing with Austin Gatlin Holt. I wanted more quarter means, but this is not what I meant. Speaking of Austin, like, this dating scene in Port Charles is so lackluster. Austin and Maxie think they're a great couple. Cody has an ulterior motive with Britt, but it still seems like he genuinely wants to date her. Britt, in turn, just hates everybody right now. (laughs) And we saw Cody bribing the kid at the pool to let him know every time Britt is going to be there. Then we have her and Maxie trying to have a girl's time at the pool, but... Cody has to come ruin it for Britt. I feel bad for her. Like, she wants nothing to do with this guy, and he just will not stop. Like, I don't like this. I don't like it at all. They have some sort of alone time together because Maxie thinks it would be cute to push them together, and they joke about, like, living and life and, like, oh, when I'm 50, and Britt's like, oh, yeah, right. And you could see that the look on Cody's face, he had questions, but I don't think he would have pushed his luck and asked what she meant. And of course, they end up in an argument and Britt leaves. Honestly, I would rather her be involved in a hospital storyline. Let this love stuff go for a little bit. I don't know, maybe after you find out your diagnosis was a lie, you can fall in love with whoever you found that out with. Just like how you fell in love with Jason when you found out you had (laughs) Other couples who think they're on track right now is Dante and Sam. Uh, They're supposed to be double dating with Mac and Felicia at the axe-throwing place, and before the girls get there, Mac talks with Dante about his future in law enforcement and possibly becoming the next chief of detectives. I mean, I guess it's natural, right? Like, Dante is in his late 30s on the show, and Mac is like 60, I think. Eventually, you gotta move up. I do miss seeing the other PCPD people, though. Valerie was such a throwaway character. It made me so angry. Lucky will forever be in Africa. Chase is going to be suspended long enough for his singing career, Bamboozle with Link. And I guess that's why the writers brought in Rory, but right now his only scenes are with Trina and the trial. 
So after Dante and Mac's conversation, Sam shows up saying Felicia texted Mac about being needed for babysitting at home. Sam gets a psych out when Dante says, let's take the next step. And then he bent down to pick up her phone (laughs) and she thought he was going to propose. I thought he was too. I was like, what is going on? Why does it seem like the audience is always left out of something? And then when he mentioned moving in together, I'm questioning, so would Dante live at Jason's penthouse that Sonny is supposed to be across the hall from, but we all know that he's not? Or would Sam move into Lulu's house that Sonny helped her buy? I don't really like Sante either. I'm sorry, guys. I know a lot of people really, really love them. I just can't get on board, and I don't know why. I think it's because I was a huge Lulu fan in the beginning of me watching GH. I really identified with the whole, like, Maxie, Georgie, Lulu drama when I was younger, So I think that's why I can't get on board with Dante and Sam, because I just only see him with Lulu, really. I I mean, I do. And also I want to bring up here, when Sam first entered the scene, Mac asked her if Felicia was able to help her on a case. What case? Again, why does it seem like the audience is missing something here? Are they working on something together? Could they be in business together since Sam and Spinelli are really not doing anything? I was also saying that during Anna and Valentine's scenes. First off, Anna was so stunning, I could hardly pay attention to the scene. I had to watch it twice. And Valentine was also looking fresh with a new haircut. But, like, this sensualness that surrounds them, I mean, it's incredibly palpable, and we are just not getting enough of it. Anna admits she looked into him and knows he was not at the clinic the whole time he says he was. And then Valentine has to lie and say he moved to a different facility. That just, like, ruined their whole relationship for me. Honestly, he, he needs to stay away from Anna right now because he's lying to her already. It's just sad now because they are super cute together, but it's not going to last. He's, he's too busy lying now, and Anna's not going to be okay with this unless somehow this end result gets Victor in prison or dead. Anna is not going to have any of this, and she deserves to be happy. And you know who else deserves to be happy? Drew. Oh my god. So Carly invites him over and they almost kiss again. He finds out about Willow's pregnancy. Everybody celebrates. And when Milo leave, Sonny busts in like he still owns the place. Gets in Carly's face about Jocelyn. (laughs) And I just loved how Carly said, um, well, Jocelyn is grown. What do you want me to do about it? Goodbye. But then when Sonny leaves, she has to make this crack about, well, now I have Sonny right where I want him. What does that mean? Are you just riding this out until you and Sonny can get back together? Like, why would you even do that when Drew is right there and he's such a better person? I just don't understand. And now for the juiciest part of GH this week, the trial. So we saw Molly and TJ talk about it, and I got a little confused thought the last time we saw Molly, she was all about the evidence and where it led. Now she's preaching how the system is broken and she still wants to keep fighting for justice. The conversation ends with Molly telling TJ she was taken off the case. Again, what is going on here? I would have rather have seen a two-minute scene between Molly and the ADA with Molly getting taken off the case rather than her just telling TJ about it. And as this is happening, Curtis is showing up at Oz Haggerty's apartment, a first and last name being repeated over and over again, so I guess we're going to see him a little bit more. 
I cannot believe not one person, including XPI Curtis Ashford, did not check the apartment right away. Call 911 and then case the apartment for safety. Curtis could have been jumped for all he knew. There could have been three guys hiding out there that were doing this to Oz. He didn't know. But we needed all that to get Oz to the hospital and keep what happened a mystery because, I'm sorry, the writers wrote themselves in a corner right here. I mean, I know they're about six weeks ahead, but Esme would have been caught then the whole storyline seemingly would have ended because new evidence, like Esme caught drugging someone, he can identify her buying the phone, bada bing, we're done. And from here, we jump to Nicholas and Ava at the Metro Court, and Spencer walks in to sit and chat about the trial. This is when Esme texts Nicholas to meet him outside. She begs him to help her get her internship, and at the same time, she's telling him that she wants to tell Ava and Spencer about their one-night stand. So gross. I mean, as the audience, we know she's doing that just for leverage, but Nicholas doesn't know that. So he gets her reinstated, and the first thing she does is goes and sees Ryan, of course, but those scenes were awesome. Esme tells him just about everything, and Ryan listens and takes it in, and then tells her she's an idiot and (laughs) short-sighted. Once again, Ryan says he is her father, but I need more. How did this happen? Where were you? Why didn't you know her mother's real name? Esme tells Ryan if she's backed into a corner, she'll give up info on him, and instead of Ryan jumping up and grabbing her as usual, he hugs her. And it seemed like he was tearing up. I don't know if that was real or not, but he does offer to go searching for her mother once he gets out of there. I'm curious if he's ever going to get a prosthetic hand. I don't know if they have a special wardrobe for John Lindstrom to make one sleeve longer than the other, or if he just, like, pulls his arm up in the sleeve. But I think eventually we're going to need to get Ryan, like, top-of-the-line, state-of-the-art, bionic hand that looks exactly like a real hand. (laughs) I don't know. Meanwhile, during these scenes, Esme's liability lies in a coma, and everyone wants to know why. Jordan gets the call of a drug overdose, so she goes over to GH to ask Portia and Curtis how Curtis was able to call this in. Once they gave Jordan enough information, she dashes to Spoon Island where she questions Nicholas. And then the greatest revelation flashback montage of all time (laughs) that I've ever seen. (laughs) I mean, you had to laugh through this whole thing. I mean, Nicholas looked like such a fool. Like, it was so comical. So, of course, Nicholas begins to scramble. And just then, Victor walks in. And the scene instantly got better for me. Victor pieces it together quickly, and he just wants to kill Esme. (laughs) He takes out his phone. He's already making the call, like, don't worry, Nicholas, we'll just eliminate her. (laughs) And Nicholas takes his phone and says, "Mm, that's a little too much. Instead, I'm going to talk to Ava and hope she just forgives me. I don't think so, Nicholas. I don't think so. I don't know what happened to Nicholas. I've talked about this before, but the character of Nicholas has completely changed. He was never perfect, obviously, but he had much better cadence. Is that the word? I feel Spencer is more Cassidine than Nicholas is. Nicholas is just flailing right now. I I just, I, I don't get it. After this Windermere visit, Jordan heads back to GH to talk to Britt about Oz, and Britt starts to make the connection between Spencer asking about the pills he found in Esme's things. I mean, the evidence is stacking up against Esme. 
And just as I was asking myself, how does this girl still have a room in Windermere? Spencer meets her in the living room, starts unveiling his plan. I mean, the look on Esme's face when she realized she was being played, I mean, it was priceless. I loved it. I wanted her to take a big ego blow, so she slips up and gets caught. Spencer also began to finally question Nicholas, helping Esme at every turn. Then he runs to the courthouse. Everyone is surprised when Spencer shows up, but we're reminded he was on the prosecutor's witness list. And let me just say, Spencer walked into that courtroom just like a Cassidine. But everyone is questioning this, and the ADA wants to know where's Esme. She's also on the witness list. The ADA, which I don't even know her name, also warns Rory about spending time with Trina, someone who clearly has a vendetta against this girl for no reason. Like, what was that about? Sure, you're prosecuting her, but like, okay, so you're saying the second she's declared innocent or not guilty, he's totally fine to hang out with her? I don't know. It just seems sketchy. But Jocelyn gives Rory a pep talk about Trina, and she is all in for this new possible coupling. And honestly, at this moment, Rory is the better choice, but we know nothing of his past. For all we know, he's working for the West Coast family. And poor Portia. She had a patient coding, so she called Taggart, freaking out that she's going to be late. I felt so bad. But Taggart sits next to Rory, and that was great. When Spencer takes the stand, finally, we get an opening to accuse somebody else. He says that Esme left the room to gather herself and some belongings, so the room was shocked. He even gives Trina her alibi for passing the email out. But of course, the ADA has to prove that that doesn't mean she couldn't have sent it, but we still have that opening for another motive and suspect. So during Spencer's testimony, Ava starts to connect the dots, and when he sits down, she leans over and tells him, hmm, I think I know what you did there. You could have played it a whole different way, but you didn't. So Spencer just stays tactful because he doesn't want the whole room to know what exactly is going on. And while Court is at recess, Nikki Boy runs in just as Esme and Ava are in each other's faces. Esme's teasing her and saying, I could ruin your whole life or bring down your world or whatever that was. And Ava says, go ahead, I dare ya. <laughs> this is when Nicholas interrupts. And him and Ava go in a private room and he confesses. I could not believe it. Nikki Boy comes clean. Ava calls him spineless, calls him weak says she's going to burn everything to the ground. I mean, those scenes were intense. And then she had to gather herself to go back into the courtroom, Nicholas following behind her. I mean, I will hand it to Mara West, giving all the emotion and all the performance. We had some Diane and Taggart moments, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And when Esme walked into the courtroom, Spencer tells her if the deal's off, you're going to be all alone in this world. And she didn't even care didn't even care. Trina asked Roy for a time machine to go back in time to where she never met a fake boy named Victor. Lucky for Trina, when Esme is on the stand, Diane gets her to crack her facade just for a moment. I mean, her plan is starting to shatter in slow motion, and I know we're all here for that. Jocelyn questions Spencer on his faithfulness to Esme and Trina, and Spencer says he knows Esme's been a snake all along. So as we all could guess... Esme needs to flee, right? So she runs back to Windermere. She starts packing up. I don't know why she couldn't have put that piece of paper in her pocket or in her purse, but nevertheless, it stalls her enough for Ava to come in the room. 
things get heated. Ava starts connecting more dots about why Esme made these attacks so personal and why she knows so much information on Ava's life. Esme's calling her out for things with Kiki, Morgan, Griffin. Like, what? You're bringing up Griffin Monroe. Like, come on. That, it was, Ava's like, excuse me. Like, who are you? So Ava's interrupting her and basically says, you know what? I don't care what your game is. You're going to tell the truth or die, basically. (laughs) I mean, great scenes. Ava versus Esme is so much fun. But I feel like the trial isn't focusing enough on Trina. The trial is like picking up other people's stories and the result of those stories will lead us to the conclusion of Trina's trial. I I just think that actress deserves more time on screen. But I suppose when Diane calls her as a witness, but I guess the big moments will come when Trina is called to the stand. So next week has to be kind of explosive, right? I mean, the news about Esme and Nicholas will get around town. Uh, Willow will get more information on her elevated white blood cell count. I could care less about Nina and the Metro Court, but I'm sure we're going to see it. But more importantly, I'm asking myself, can I forgive these Cassidine men? I forgave Nicholas for his affair with Liz, but I don't know this time. This is too far for me. I don't know what it's going to take for me to forgive Sonny, but I'm at a loss with him. Uh, ELQ almost merger was such a small story, I'm wondering if something big, bigger is coming. Now would be a good time for Sky to make an appearance with Lila Ray. Dylan has been missing for quite some time. I think the writers forgot Austin and Jimmy Lee being quartermains because this was just not handled correctly. We've got a lot going on. I- I'm excited to be back and see it all go down from 66 Harborview Road. You can find me on Instagram at 66 Harborview Road. Twitter at 66 underscore view, and TikTok at 66 underscore Harborview Road. From the Quartermain Foyer, I bid you a great week. Mm-hmm.